Hey, Ravi. Hey, Suji. How's it going? Hey, pretty good. Welcome pretty to Instagram good. Live, man. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you finally got me on, eh? <laughs> so, yeah, we were trying to do a Zoom call, but the connection wasn't stable. Um, so we yeah. decided to switch over to this. Just for everyone who's catching on. We flipped away from the Instagram model just because, uh, you know, Zoom allows us to get, have more flexibility for other channels. But Instagram yeah. Live is so, um, Instagram is just so stable. You know, whatever yeah, Facebook's doing. Zoom, yeah, I think with Zoom, it's because everybody's networking right now. So it's just the bandwidth is gone, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Cool. How are you uh, liking working from home? It's uh, For me, it's the same, right? We were all, I was working from home either way, um, but usually I would go to our office downtown at uh, CSI, yeah. and obviously we're also out of huddle space. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, the adjustment of not having meetings in person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, CSI, uh, uh, what, which working space is that? Uh, Center for Social Innovation. So we're out of 192 Spadina. Nice. Um, so we're part of their EarthTech uh, Accelerator. Cool. Who runs that? Um, so it's it's a it's a group of um, owners that started it, I guess, a couple of years ago. They have various uh, workspaces out of Toronto, New York, and a couple of other cities. Um, so you know, right now our local um, cohort leader is uh, Barnaby. Um, so he's the one who runs it for us. Barnaby, okay, that's yeah. cool, man. There's so many of these incubators popping up, and like I haven't heard of CSI. Is that is that yeah. new? They've been around for a couple couple of uh, years, but I think they're more focused on uh, climate climate uh, startups, right? Like those who are looking to how they can uh, help with sustainability. So that's what they've been more focused towards. I think a lot of the other workspaces are more like um, IoT kind. Of gotcha, gotcha. Um, and how you like working out of there? It's good. It's a good atmosphere. You know, it's downtown. We can meet everybody for meetings easily. Um, not to say, you know, Huddle Space is awesome too. I know our uh, yeah. members go there as well. So it's yeah, good yeah. to have a GTA uh, Center and uh, East as well. Yeah, I mean, you, just, you see Roshan from your team every day at Huddle Space, but uh, <laughs> now with things going on, we don't really get catch it, run into anybody. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's pretty sad that he's not able to go there, but uh, everyone's stuck at home, right? So it's yeah, for yeah. our own sake. How are you how are you doing the working from home with the team uh, working from home? Like I'm guessing you don't meet up as much, uh, uh, like for obvious reasons. Yeah, um, you know it's just like everybody else. We've been doing uh, video conferencing, Zoom. Um, we usually talk on the phone like every day, right? Just mm -hmm. catch up on meetings, what's happened, uh, what's the next steps to take. So we were working like this even before this happened, like the quarantine. But uh, yeah. now yeah. it's just you know we don't have those like biweekly in person. Yeah. I mean, from the people I talk to, the people, the, especially startups who are kind of used to working from home or remotely because they were forced to before, trying to save costs, are just yeah. so streamlined now because there's like, okay, we're going to double down on this, on yeah. the process we've been working on. So, yeah, it's great to hear it. So, yeah, man, looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to having you on. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a struggle yeah, to get you on, bro, honestly. We've <laughs> right? been trying for a while. So. Yeah. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy about this because, um, you know, Sumi... I think she's tuned in right now. She she came on our show. She was really the second episode. Right? Yeah, she was. Um, second episode, but the first one to be actually filmed properly. The first, yeah, our first sure. episode. That was a, you guys had a great production value. So yeah. how, how has that affected you now? I know you said you've had to go a lot more mobile in home. It's, I guess. Yeah, it's so funny because like the, the, the set kind of, we've kind of designed the set to be cool, yes. But we yeah. didn't know, realize how much of a life of its own it had. So yeah. many of our guests that were like, hey, let's do virtual, right? They're like mm -hmm. actually upset. They wanted to like, they, they're like, no, you know, let's postpone it. We, I want to come to the set. I want to <laughs> sit there with the lights on, on like those major yeah. chairs. And we're like, wow, you know, like for us, we kind of threw the set together from what we had available, like the corking spaces, yeah. lights and equipment that we just kind of bought up over time. But uh, really quickly, people are like, yeah, man, we want to come on that set. Um, and switch, shifting to virtual, that was a, that was a pivot. Mm -hmm. We couldn't easily transfer everyone we, um, we need to, um, sorry, we couldn't con convert everybody who we had scheduled to come on yeah. to, onto the virtual platform because they wanted to come on and do it live. Yeah. But this is so much easier. 
You know, we're actually doing a lot more now um, just because we're capable, right? Yeah, it's more streamlined. But uh, I, I've seen your uh, setup, man. It's pretty awesome. So. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. But um, yeah, let's talk about the latest and the greatest, right? Like what's uh, Danya been doing since Sumi came on and yep. last year and how you guys are position, repositioning yourself with this COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, so... Um, you know, I'll just so we can tell the user what Dunya is. So Dunya Habitats, we're basically providing a farming at your fingertips, right? So it's mm -hmm. a quick, easy to install, contained uh, tiny farm system so that we can access regions that don't have uh, uh, proper food security and give them the access to grow food in those regions. So pivot-wise, what we've done now is actually um, more targeted to the urban centers cities, um, even locally within Toronto, Markham, and Kingston area, so that with this current uh, crisis, people can, you know, use our system to grow food locally in their backyards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I'm really interested in. So we, I reached out to you on, on the weekend to talk about this, because yeah. uh, there's a lot of movement about this, about urban farming, about distributed farming methods to kind of take the reliance off of a global supply chain for food mm -hmm. um, off the table, right? Because this disruption, what it's shown us is how fragile our systems really are, including yeah. the food supply chain, right? Yes, Going to Walmart or, or Longo's or, or like these big, big uh, box stores and seeing empty shelves, that's, that kind of threw everybody off, right? That kind yeah. of threw away the entire paradigm of like a first world nation out the window. It's something we have experienced in, in over a generation, in two generations. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's more panic buying, and that's what people need to know. Is it's not that you know, our distribution and warehouses are running low. It's just on shelf because everyone started stocking up at once. They couldn't resupply as quickly, right? So yeah. I have friends working in the grocery uh, stores and uh, warehouses and stuff, and there's plenty of uh, supplies out there. So it's like you know, people shouldn't get scared. Yeah. Um, it's just that we should continue buying at a normal rate that we always bought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, is that the case right now? Like the supply chain not affected? Is just the people's buying habits have changed? Currently, I'd say the supply chain isn't affected, but um, out of the States now, what's happening and, you know, um, they're not actually containing the virus. Um, I think coming weeks, it might get worse just because there will be disruptions. So that's why, you know, with Dunya, like I was looking at, even how cities can be sustainable in the long run. Mm. Right now, uh, we have enough food and su water supplies for one or two weeks if there's no outside sources coming in. And a lot of our produce is actually shipped from, you know, California, Mexico, and even overseas. Yeah. So there's a huge distance they travel. So what we're trying to do and our vision was that if we can make cities more sustainable, have people growing their own food locally, uh, that would be a more viable option. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I absolutely agree. So I, I, I got kind of really into this idea about sustainable farming, but urban farming especially, yeah. about a few years ago. Uh, and started looking into this, like Chicago, Detroit, these cities who have been affected by, you know, huge unemployment numbers, mm -hmm. um, production moving out, uh, uh, moving overseas, right, has, uh, has changed the communities. And they turned, uh, there's a lot of community farming projects in Chicago and Detroit. And they yeah. were kind of piloting this citywide. And it was kind of nice. It's kind of cool to see like neighborhoods come together and, and do this. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're from family we're immigrants. Like my grandma, my grandma, my mother-in-law, they all like still grow their own stuff. Right? Yeah, in their backyards yeah. and, and, you know, they're reliant in a sense. Yeah. In a sense. Uh, especially since they came from like war-torn countries and uh, civil war. Um, yeah. They always think about this, you know, um, you know, the fragility of relying on a system. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people are not considering this too, about you know, how do we future-proof ourselves from disruption? How do we become yeah. more self-reliant? Uh, and this is really capturing the curve because weirdly enough, as we advance technolo technologically as a society, we're also regressing culturally. Um, it's, a, it's a topic I bring up almost every podcast now because I, I love it. Yeah. Um, the co-founder the co of AngelList talks about it a lot, Naval Ravikant, um, about how technology, especially the fourth industrial revolution, is like reversing mm -hmm. us, where before, like the 20th century, you used to join these companies and government jobs, 
are stable, you save for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and you withdraw the stable paycheck. But yeah. nowadays, it's more like freelance work, entrepreneurial activity, right? Uh, contract, contract kind of, kind of workloads where people are more independent. And yeah. to survive in this kind of landscape, you kind of have to, you're almost like a farmer or, you know, farming your own land, you're farming your own mm -hmm. leaves. You know, you're like a hunter or a fisherman, like you're acquiring skill sets that you can go, go out and like acquire resources from, from the system. Yeah. And then you kind of act on the side of independent. And it's changing people's behavior and how they think about living and, and uh, living and work, right? Work and living. Yeah. Um, and really like about Dunya is how efficiently you can run this. Uh, you have one system that can, it's modular, kind of comes together. It's insulated, so it can run to like year round, all seasons, hydroponic, right? Semi-automated, um, yeah. right? And uh, it, it, as a system, it has a lot of promise. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to you guys getting up and running. Uh, can we talk a little bit about your progress and uh, what you guys are dealing with, any problems? Yeah, so um, right now, you know, so the system is a hydroponic system. And then for just for users who don't know what that is, it's basically growing food without using soil. Um, mm -hmm. So we provide just the water with nutrients added to it. Yeah. Um, and the plants live in a substrate, so the seeds get the nutrients right away instead of searching for it, whereas in soil, the plant root system has to go around and search. Um, so with hydroponic systems, you know, we've been looking at working a lot in communities that are affected by food scarcity. We're doing a couple of projects um, out of the Southern African region and yeah. even in Europe as well. Um, so it's two different um, communities, whereas in Europe, they're more worried about um, food production because in the country we're working in currently, they import like 80% of their foods from the uh, surrounding European neighbors. But as you saw last uh, summer, Spain was hit by a lot of wildfires and their farms were affected and crops uh, yield have been affected by climate change. Mm -hmm. And then whereas in the South African regions that we're working in, uh, a lot of the countries are, we're always dependent on natural rainfall. Mm. Um, and what we found when we went down there um, was that the rainfall has changed, that they've only gotten around 30 days of rainfall throughout the entire year. And a lot of these farmers can't afford big irrigation systems like we have here. So um, we've been trying to work with those farmers, giving our systems to them in the local municipalities so that we're not just there to, you know, here's, Here's the system, take it, and we're gone. We're building an e ecosystem around it. So we'll, yeah. we'll be there. You know, one of our habitats is 100 square feet, but it's like a beehive. So you can attach multiple systems together and grow it up yeah. so that you know, farmers can scale up um, as they need be. And with hydroponics, we use water more efficiently. So we use 90% less water than normal agriculture because it's recycled within the system. And we grow food faster. So four to six weeks for leafy greens versus six to nine weeks in normal agriculture. And as you said, since it's a fully self-contained system, we don't have to worry about pests or droughts affecting anything as well. Amazing. Um, can you talk a little bit about the technology? So we covered it when she was there, but is there any upgrades? Have you guys changed uh, anything up uh, since then, since like last year? Well, uh, honestly, man, I've had so many ideas on how to upgrade it, but team has said, you know, Suj, stop. <laughs> We've MVP, kind of had, yeah. yeah, no more changes. You know, this is what, this is our minimal viable product for now. And then yeah. just get it right there. Um, so there are, there are different iterations we will be producing later on. But right now the main system is, it's like a Lego model. So it'll come flat pack. We've okay. designed it so that anyone can put it together and build it. You don't yeah. need to be an engineer. So you could be here in North America in an urban center and put it together or in the middle of a tropic setting in Africa or South America and still have the uh, tools and knowledge to put it together. Um, we also have an app interface so that, you know, planting will take you three to four hours, right? Because there's 16 tower system inside it with 12 LED lights. Um, but once that plant's done, the sensors will monitor what's happening. So with the water system, you know, is the water flowing? How much lights are the plants getting? What nutrients are going in? And all of this will come to your phone so you can be at the office and the system will be uh, self-sustaining. Yeah, and, and that's a really cool thing, especially right now, the, I like the self-running self, self -running kind of component of it, right? Mm -hmm. Especially right now when like people, 
uh, Airbnb is kind of kind of falling apart. People are not uh, booking as much. People aren't renting as much. People aren't you know aren't transacting with strangers as much. Um, yeah. What can we do with all these spaces? You know, these commercial spaces that are kind of vacant. Um, yeah. These industrial pl- places that are not being uh, being underutilized, and even residential places being underutilized. So, and like Reddit yeah. and a few channels, people are talking about you know how can we take these spaces and turn them into vertical farms, or you yeah. know, so can create like a distributed kind of network, farming network, or collective. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kind of movements are kind of being conceptualized online. But uh, cool thing about yours is it's more like a, it's like a product that a premium product you can yeah, like that you can just put into your home and it can run on itself. And if you do put it externally in an external place, you can put it outside your house, inside your house. You can modulate and bring them together. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that kind of component of it, right? And uh, we talked over the weekend about uh, you know the risk of uh, not the risk, but uh, how to move into the market right now, where. Yeah. People aren't spending any money, really. People are kind of being yeah, conservatively yeah. watching, but uh, I think there's a real case for sustainability and being independent when it comes to like uh, food. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how's how's that been uh, on your search? Like uh, talking to customers. Yeah, it's actually um, you know what like this this crisis has I guess changed people's viewpoints on you know where uh, even not even just to look into. Where does our food come from? Because a lot of people I've spoken to are, you know, they just go to the grocery store and the food's there. But then now this time they actually went there and they're like, oh no, there's no produce, mm-hmm. and they have to think about supply chain. You know, where does it actually come from? So we've been getting a lot of inquiries and calls um, about, you know, how, how can we get your system in my backyard? And even like you were saying before, like, you know, our, my aunts and uncles they love gardening. Um, they have s- small gardens in the backyard all the time, anyways. So, but now with our system, we can grow all year round. Mm-hmm. So that whether it's winter or summer, you'll still have it. And we have it so that it's easier to use. So even you know your grandma can use it once it's set up, right? So we're finding that this crisis has kind of opened up people's eyes to how to future-proof their source of food right now, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, like. I'm having a hard time to talk time talking about this because we spent like an hour talking about yeah. all the breakpoints yesterday. But yeah. uh, like I mean, moving forward, um, you know, I think we're kind of you're kind of stuck in this model where you want to take this to like Botswana and like these refugee camps, mm-hmm. these places where food scarcity is a thing. But the problem is to bring the cost of production down to these units. The people that can really afford it are the first world nations. Yeah, so we're not actually selling it straight to the people. We're selling yeah. it to NGOs and government organizations. So uh, looking at the UN, the FAO, even the WHO that are working across these countries, right? So, so we're selling to them. And then obviously, you know, with economy of scale, once we get a certain production number up, we can bring down that cost even lower. So it wouldn't just be a lower cost for uh, people in these developing areas or refugee camps as per se, but even in our city and stuff, we can provide a lower uh, cost uh, model for our customers. Yeah, yeah, the scaling production always has that benefit. But uh, can we talk a bit more about um, how you took your PhD thesis, right? This is your PhD thesis that you- Actually, it was my, it was my undergrad, so long story. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so a long story, I worked engineering for a couple of years, um, you know, just worked my way up in the company, um, because of some, some family issues. And then I decided to you know, start my photography company around 2012. Um, so that was the first recession hit. And then I was just like, you know what, I wanna finish school. So I went back to OCAD University, which was an undergrad at Digital Futures. Yeah. And uh, they actually had a thesis component. So my thesis was on you know, Nunavut and food scarcity in these remote regions. So looking at um, even Northern Canada and uh, indigenous uh, reserves within Canada, a lot of their food uh, supplies are exorbitant. So it's three times the prices we would have here. Like orange juice would cost $26. A lettuce, a head of lettuce is around 7 to $10, right? Whereas here it's only $3. And uh, looking at these communities, it was a lot of people couldn't afford to get fresh produce. So they would end up buying snacks, um, candy bars, chips, and like that which in the long run would affect the mental health of the individual and the community as a whole. 
So what I was looking at with Dunya is can we provide a system that we're not giving it to, um, you know, the marketplaces that are gouging the customers, but we're giving it to the people themselves in the community mm-hmm. so that the community can grow their food and then uh, self-sustain as well. Right? Yeah, so where, like, uh, Sumi entered this from her side, but I'm kind of interested yeah. in your side, right? Like, where did this uh, motivation come from? Where did it stem from? Uh, you know, it started off as a random project um, out of OCAD. Um, I had, a, I was walking down the hallway one day, and my friend saw me. She was doing her master's in digital futures at the same time, and uh, she's like, "Suj, we have a group project for the Hulk competition, which is um, funded by the Clinton Foundation, and their mandate was, how can you help refugees around the world get dignity and self-respect back?" Mm-hmm. So she's like, "Suj, join me," and I'm just like, "I've got exams, I don't have time for this, right?" Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, I was like, "Okay, you know what? Let's do this." And at the same time, my dad was back in Sri Lanka, and he was trying to grow um, produce in a small open-air greenhouse to show the community how to grow food and sell it to the market so they can be self-sustaining. But the issue he had was, um, you know, it was still affected by drought, soil conditions, and not enough water. So I was like, all right, Appa, you know, I'm, I'm doing this here. Let me make you a self-contained system that... Uh, will help out, you know, refugee camps and people back home at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah. And then, my, so my group members, they went their own way, you know, we split parts and then I kept doing this as my thesis. And when I graduated, uh, my um, business partner right now, our COO, Shiv, we were just drinking one night at his uh, house and he's like, you should do this as a startup, right? Why aren't you doing this as a business? So I was like, all right, you know, if you come in with me, I'll start it. So... <laughs> It was basically, you know, we went in and then, uh, yeah, my sister has been helping us as well. She's one of the founders. So the three of us have just uh, gone forth for the past year and a half. And, you know, we've gotten a lot of traction. It has, like you said, you know, things have slowed down. But I think the current crisis has opened up people's eyes to, you know, what we were trying to do from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And uh, from your end, how's it working with your sister? Because she answered a different answer for you, right? Uh, can I say no comment? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's good. It has its ups and downs, but you know we've always been close and supported each other, so it's uh, it's good. No, absolutely. I mean, taking any kind of family relationship and turning it into a work environment is always a challenge. I'm yeah. talking to a lot of founders, you know, who have siblings, and uh, it's always like, when do I turn off like the annoying sibling habits and turn yeah. on the professional side? But yeah, basically. Uh, that's <laughs> <It's> basically it <laughs> yeah yeah we've, we've had to say you know we will behave outside and then when you come home we can yell at each other so yeah yeah <laughs> definitely so i mean what's next for you guys um any any kind of big moves or kind of kind of like writing it out right now during this climate during this current uh, crisis yeah um so right now we're looking towards expansion for manufacturing processes so our manufacturing facilities are all within um, southern Ontario, Kingston region, um, even Ontario, Toronto, and uh, possibly Guelph right now. So we're looking at securing those um, uh, process lines, right? So yes. things have slowed down because we can't go and speak with the manufacturers per se, but you know we're continuing it on, and we've kind of had to push back some timelines, but I, I think that's good because it also gives a little bit of breathing room for everybody so that we can expand it out slower, um, but current models we're looking at is, you know, working on a couple of proposals within the GTA, Kingston, um, even the northern regions within Kingston as well. Uh, we're doing a lot of work with farmers, per se, because um, they've been really interested on, you know, how can they supplement their income during the off-season and uh, even do um, uh, farmers markets during wintertime, which uh, if you look at the leafy green uh, market side, a lot of our lettuce and produce is shipped in from the southern regions. Um, so right now, if we can change that to, you know, we're growing more locally, we're also um, lowering our carbon footprint and greenhouse gas. Cool. Awesome. How has this been, like, taken, taken by NGOs? Like, what, what are NGOs, the UN, saying about uh, Dania and what you're trying to accomplish? So, so they love the idea, but, um, you know, like, with a lot of, organizations it's slow moving so mm-hmm. we are working on a couple of projects I, I can't say right now but there are some big projects in the pipeline um we put a couple of proposals out 
um, to work with a couple of nations out of the South Africa region, mm-hmm. um, even Europe and India were possibly looking at. So those are more slow moving red tape, but um, they're very interested, especially with even um, disaster situations. So like FEMA and things like that. Um, if you're looking at the United States, you know, New Orleans and even the flooding that they had recently last year, um, we would have it so that our systems can be deployed easily by uh, the FEMA and then grow food locally, right? So if the city's uh, food production transportation methods are down, FEMA can provide it for that city until they're up and running again. So we've had a lot of interest from them, NGOs and governments. Um, you know, it's just working through the pipeline uh, with them. Yeah, definitely. Like, okay, so what was the, what's the process like trying to like sell or trying to engage with NGOs, the UN, FEMA, these government bodies? Because they're so regulated and so looked after, right? So is there, yeah. a, a, I'm assuming there's a bigger bureaucracy element to it. Yeah, so it's, we're actually in a line with a lot of what they're doing. So, um, you know, they've been looking at uh, food health um, in communities, even women, women empowerment in local communities where um, we're looking at communities where the women, their husbands have passed away or they're not there anymore. So how can we empower women in these uh, communities? So by using our systems, they can grow their own food, provide it to the local community and help their families. So this, our, our vision and our company kind of aligns with a lot of what NGOs are trying to do. Um, especially with food production and food insecurity, right? Um, the thing right now is that it's not just climate change that's affecting everything, but population growth um, per se, right? So if you're looking at countries like Congo, they have a lot of agricultural land, but in the next 10, 10 to uh, seven years, their population is going to double almost from 8 million to 20 million. So yes, they've been saying, you know, we have land, so why do we need your system? But I'm like, you know, just because you have the land doesn't mean you need to use it. Mm-hmm. Our, our system allows you to grow food. If one acre can grow 26,000 pounds of lettuce, we can use 10% of that land to grow the same amount. So this is what Andrew is looking at is, you know, efficiency in the food production. Cool. Um, earlier when we were talking, you're, you're, you're talking mm-hmm. about like, you know, there's refugee camps that have become multi-generational. You know, what's, yeah. the, what's the current state of like refugee camps and these kind of displaced communities across the world? Um, could you enlighten us a more about that? Yeah, so actually um, when I was looking at my thesis, I was looking at uh, Kenya and even Jordan with the Syrian refugees and Kenya with the Somalian refugees. So in Kenya, they have the Dab camp, which is around uh, 400 to 700,000 you know, um, refugees in various camps around the country. Um, and a lot of times people don't like to hear that, you know, you're going to be in these camps for a long time. Um, but the sad thing is they're there for generations now since the 90s. So it's two to three generations that are growing up in camps that haven't known what it is to be on the outside. Um, and even in uh, Jordan, Syria, and Syrian refugees, um, they've been there. It's been more recent, but a lot of them are uh, highly educated. So what mm-hmm. we've been doing is looking at how we can provide fresh produce because the food that the UN provides and even the World Food Organization provides in these camps are prepackaged. And a lot of times when they're prepackaged, they lose, lose their nutritious value over time. Um, and people like nutritious food, like fresh food. You know, if I can pick lettuce off the backyard and eat it, it's much more, it gives you a better mood. It helps with your mental state as well. So um, when we were looking at these camps, I was looking at, okay, they don't have a lot of room. What can we do? Let's make a system that's compact, modular, and stackable. So we can actually, we're, look, we're looking at creating, you know, it's not just called camps anymore, but a transitional township. You know, um, what, can we have these camps as towns so that, you know, in the center we have agriculture, which is what brought our communities together in the early days of civilization. So can we have it so that, you know, in the center we have our modules, they're growing food, and then the camp is around uh, surrounding the systems. So this way, people aren't just lined up in uh, tents one after another. They actually feel like, you know, it's a community, it's a town. Yes, we may be here for a couple of months or even a couple of years, but uh, they'll, have a, they'll have that knowledge that, okay, you know, maybe we belong here and we can help the country that's providing us sanctuary as well. Yeah. So 
you're looking at uh, the Zatari camp in Jordan, they actually have a $4 million in um, income that the camp provides to the local economy. Oh, really? How, how's that? So uh, in the beginning, they were just rows and rows of tents. And the uh, Syrian refugees were like, you know, we want to provide back to the uh, local community that's helping us. You know, we don't just want to kind of sit here and do nothing. So they revolted and actually rearranged the camp into marketplaces. Mm -hmm. So they've been doing, uh, you know, jewelries and small things like that, repairing um, me mechanics and things like that. And with uh, Zatari camp, people can actually come in and out of it. So with this uh, system, it allows them to provide back to the local communities and townships. So, you know, countries that are providing these uh, refugee camps, they don't need to necessarily look at as a burden, but, you know, it's an influx of people that have uh, experience that can actually add value to the country. Yeah, definitely. But one of the things, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. Like I, I, knowing that these camps can turn into these, into these yeah. like income producing vehicles for uh, their host nations, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times these countries seem to have their own agendas, own political kind of, uh, you know, yeah. motivations where they don't, they themselves are not, they don't want the refugee camps to be seen as a permanent situation or a yeah. township. They want to be a, like, you know, transitional, but it never yeah. ends up because it's made to be transitional it prevents people from transitioning. They'd rather yes. they get stuck there, right? Um, yeah, how, how can we combat that kind of uh, the politics behind it, I guess? Yeah, the politics will always be there. So you can take two different uh, uh, countries, right? Kenya, they don't let the people leave the camps at all. Um, so they've been stuck in there for, you know, 10 to 15 years, some people. And if they go back home to Somalia, um, they'll either get killed or with women, you know, they've, they've gotten raped and then they come back to the camp because it's actually safer. Um, and then there's actually not much interaction out of, outside of these camps in Kenya. Whereas in Jordan, the government's taken a different approach that people can actually leave the camp, go, go into the towns, come back, buy and sell, right? So every country does have their agenda. And, you know, it, it's sad that these people don't have a home to go back to right now. Um, so obviously, it's a long-term thinking um, yeah. that these countries have to change their views, right? Um, with Kenya... I, I believe they were afraid of, you know, like, uh, how are people going to integrate from Somalia to Kenyan society and things like that. But I'm like, you have you have 700,000 refugees in your country, and that's a workforce that can possibly, you know, create and provide to your GDP as well. And by educating them, you're going to lift the entire country up. Um, you know, with the condition in these countries that the refugees are escaping, um, it's sad to say that they're not going to be able to go home in anywhere in the future, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, have you had any personal experience at, at these camps? Have you gone to visit anything uh, or seen them in firsthand? I haven't actually gone to the camps. Um, I've worked with uh, a lot of experts that have actually gone, done, gone to Zatari um, and even some of my professors out of OK. Zatari, where, where is that? Zatari is, Jordan, uh, is in Jordan. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a Syrian okay. refugee camp. Yeah. So my professors initially had helped me with, you know, what's the situation there. And we had a couple of phone calls with the camp court organizers as well. You know, how, how is it happening? What's going on there? And for me uh, personally, I had actually gone back to Sri Lanka in 2012 and 2015. Yeah. And it's, a, it's the same kind of situation. We aren't in camps, but a lot of the rural communities outside of Jaffna are still affected by, you know, food insecurity, joblessness. Um, and education, right? Uh, yeah. So one thing that we can address is no one, no one cares if they're, if they're hungry, you're not going to care about anything else. So let's, you know, concentrate on providing food to these communities and then providing a way for them to actually get up from uh, where they are currently. No, absolutely. And I mean, coming from a people that's been displaced from Sri Lanka, I mean, this is a, this yeah. a big thing that kind of affects our community. And thinking about it as well, and a lot of communities who have experienced the disruption of, you know, their cultural heritage and their nationhood. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think about the future? Like, with the, the current crisis that happened, and the, and yeah. the, now the shift, the people's attention uh, have shifted now. You know, they look at uh, before we look at third world nations and like, oh, we need to help them, but now people are focused on themselves, and yeah. I think the next near term future, the next. A few years people are going to be considering talking about you know 
our, our state of our healthcare, state of our, you know, our fiscal policies, um, changing things up, there's going to be less attention towards these kind of, uh, I guess, refugee camps and people who are in yeah. need. Uh, do you think that lack of attention could lead to uh, further abuse or disruption? So, you know, I think people have to just think about it, right? Like, it's only been, what, three, four weeks that we've been going through this quarantine and everyone's freaking out already about not being able to get produce or to even toilet paper, which is great for you guys, right? Um, but now think about that. Your entire life is like that. Imagine how that is, right? So, yes, you know, people might most likely... I'm kind of pessimistic about society nowadays. We we might turn inward, but I don't think that's the way to go, right? That when you look outward, when you help others, when you lift the lowest in society, you're going to help yourself as well, right? So it's not even looking at, don't look at Africa and India like that, but look at U.S. In the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to have a lot of climate refugees that are going to be traveling away from the Great Plains because of climate change, and they're not able to produce food. So mm -hmm. where are they going to go? They're going to shift more eastward or more north as well. So these refugees won't just be, you know, people that we don't see. They're going to be our neighbors as well. So we have to prepare for what's to come. And that's the thing. You're need talking about climate to, refugees, right? Climate so refugees. So we need, yeah, we need our governments to think more in long term, not just four-year terms, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the issue with uh, democracy. Yes, you give people a voice, but... You get you shorten the long-term thinking path because our leaders yeah. are looking at their election period and their uh, their period rather than you know like China the hundred-year plan on mm -hmm. how to uh, of how to make big changes and uh, run things more efficiently. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do you think about the climate change crisis? Like, do you feel that um, it's going to cause a lot of displacement? And what's the timeline? Yeah, you know, it, it's ha it's happening already. So that's the thing. Everyone talks about climate change is going to happen in five to ten years, but uh, it's happening already. Like, mm -hmm. um, we were, I was in Botswana last March. Now, you know, the, a lot of the farm fields are drying up and dead. Um, they're already importing around 95% of their food from South Africa. But then there's a lot of instability in South Africa because the water table is drying up out of Cape Town and other towns as well. Mm -hmm. So... You know, there might be water wars in the coming future um, with climate change as well. The humidity is rising in the tropics. So if you look at South America, when the humidity rises, then certain plants won't be able to grow or certain pests come as well, right? So the people will be shifting around. It's not about, you know, like the timeline now. It's, it's happening already, as you can see from uh, Mexico, people are coming up, right? Um, so there was going to be wars breaking out. It's just how do how do we get our government and the people here to think more long term, right? Um, as you can see with the pandemic, we had Bill Gates telling us about this years ago. This is what's going to happen, mm -hmm. and now people are saying like, okay, why didn't we prepare for this? The government knew about it. It's just yeah. the will there, and the will who gives the will to the government is the people, right? So. Yeah, yeah. And people's will wasn't there because there was not a pressing concern. One like 70% yeah. of households are strapped with debt and living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Right? People are more concerned about the bottom line rather than, you know, systematic change. Well, that's the thing. Now that you, you see that everybody's working from home, everybody's living paycheck to paycheck, right? Whether it's the employee or the person paying rent to the landlord or the, la the landowner, everyone yeah. is literally literally living paycheck to paycheck. So we have to think, is this a good system that we should be living by or is there something better that we can use and utilize to bring society up? What do you, what do you think is better? Universal basic income. I know you had spoken about it. <laughs> I talk about it a lot. I'm a big yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. I've been converted. I've been converted. What's your thoughts? No, I think it is something we need to do. Um, and I think that's why this, the, the system that's happening now you know, the government's providing funding for people um, living wages, right? And if you're looking at America, they're getting, oh, $1,200. Mm -hmm. And as Bernie Sanders was saying, you know, the Republicans are, oh, we're giving them more money than they're making. But then the $1,200 is more or less closer to a livable wage. So it's like, if you know, the people that are working right now during the pandemic are the ones making minimum wage. They're basically the pillars of society. Without them, if they stop working, we would crumble. So shouldn't we be paying them properly 
like if they can't pay rent and buy food for themselves why does a, why, what is a 14 to 15 minimum wage it shouldn't be minimum wage is basically the employer saying this is the lowest i can pay you legally right so with with a universal basic income i think uh, it would help out people much more efficiently um actually improve their lives and raise everybody together how do we fund it that's a question mark right yeah that's a question right but uh you know the mo- the money that from comes from ubi will go back to the economy Mm-hmm. so those will be paid by taxes and i know there's a lot of studies out there i'm not expert in it but um there is that is a future that we will have to transition into especially with as you're mentioning right the, the new industrial revolution coming yeah uh, absolutely i mean my big i was a huge fan of andrew yang before he dropped out well, I still am yeah. but uh, he dropped out of the race unfortunately the us uh, democratic race and his idea of you know a vat tax a value added tax a value added tax right yeah. taxing machines I, mean, mm-hmm. i really like the idea of taxing machines in the industrial age and uh, you know yeah. uh to fund ubi so taxing uh, let's say every mile that autonomous drive uh, autonomous vehicle drives you know mm-hmm. robotic assembly line whatever it is any kind of machine uh, process if you can have a have a value added tax for that which europe already has a value added tax but this is just a, a very targeted one meant yeah. to fund a universal basic income and then it, it can kick start the engine right yeah. hopefully spark up the economy big enough that people are used to this uh the main thing i like about universal basic income is the idea of it, everybody's income level is not zero if you do nothing right yeah. you have an income coming in it kind of forces you to think about like how what else can i do to increase my income other than trading my labor for income yeah for sure right and i think with that it's also giving a lot of opportunity to people for you know people who might not have might be working minimum jobs but don't have the opportunity to go back to school so with that ubi they have those opportunities now okay you know i can go back to school not not worry about my whether my welfare check's going to get cut out because i'm making too much and not right yeah. um definitely it does it does give avenues for a lot of people that they don't currently have uh but more than that like i like the the market economics behind that right So think about like if you're homeless right and you're mm-hmm. nothing coming in but you're guaranteed $1000 a month even if you don't yeah. like let's say you you're like you have um your mental illness physical illness you know um you know don't have the capability to like the, the, the education to even like to operate on things properly yeah. it opens up the market right puts a value on the human if they have $1000 coming in yes so, definitely it kind of makes it a market it turns people from like uh i guess tax slaves from like hey either, you know you do stuff and you get, we get taxed to no no yeah. money coming into each person providing a resource that person allows you to get a piece of it yeah for sure right and yeah so, i i totally agree totally agree with that especially with the homeless uh, situation that's happening yeah uh, i mean the homeless situation like, I've, i've been following a lot about uh, skid row and yeah. in LA Vancouver all these places where like these massive tent cities are coming up right like suburb size situation places where like you know thousands of people have come together and just created a homeless yeah. uh, homelessness uh, desert pretty much yeah um, and i know we were, and i know we were talking about that as well earlier and even a lot of the empty lots that have been sitting empty around the city so um this is what we were thinking is even uh Toronto's had a lot of green initiatives for gardens and things like that so it's even with dunya how can we provide the habitats to the city and work with them so that uh they can grow food and then even these communities can come together and provide food to whether it's the food bank or to community projects that will feed those who may not necessarily have um access to clean uh, nutritious foods right yeah no absolutely and that's what I'm looking forward to um uh, seeing you guys progress and hopefully we can give you guys some support uh and get the access to either customers or some kind of investment to like kickstart things because it's such an important thing to be able to secure ourselves from um food scarcity right both here in first world nations but also in places where things are more transitional and uh, more uh, i guess less secure right yeah yeah for sure uh, Yeah um one of the things uh, we talked about also is the ability that 
you know, if we can have these demo habitats and kind of link them to our, together in a marketplace. Yeah. All right. Uh, I remember you, you mentioned that as well. That's, that's super interesting. A marketplace for food that's decentralized and kind of being produced. Yeah. So the idea with that is, um, you know, if you have a unit and a couple of people within the vicinity, within 10, 20 kilometers have habitats and they're growing, the marketplace will showcase, you know, all right, Ravi is growing lettuce. He's going to be done in a week. I have arugula and spinach. Uh, we can trade with each other and uh, buy and sell as well. Or you can join up with a local grocery store for that. You know, once once you're certified, you can actually sell straight to the grocery stores. So this way, herbs and leafy greens are coming fresh from the city within a kilometer instead of traveling hundreds of kilometers from down south in the States as well. Right? Yeah, definitely. And that, I mean, that's such a cool concept. And I think we finally have the capability, the technology and, uh, and uh, resources to kind of build this kind of marketplace together. I mean, yeah. how much of that radically transform uh, logistics of food, right? I mean, one of the things that shocked me was apples on average takes mm-hmm. six months to reach our shelves. And how they yeah. transport them is uh, they put them into pretty much sealed containers, like shipping containers, but mm-hmm. then take out all the, all the air, vacuum seal it, take out all the air, and then put in like, I think, uh, nitrogen. Fill the room yeah. with nitrogen. Because under nitrogen conditions, the, the type of bacteria that breaks down food can grow. Yeah. So things literally can't rot. Right? So yeah. fruits, this is a new, kind, a new kind of methodology people are using to mm-hmm. um, not refrigerate food, but to keep them from just rotting in general is to starve out the bacteria's resources <laughs> from decomposing them. So now fruits and vegetables can be stored in these things uh, for, mm-hmm. like, for, like, for like months at a time. Yeah. And the issue with that is there's still this uh, depletion of resources. They, uh, I forgot what the term is called. It's like the nitrogen kind of bleaches them from resources. So mm-hmm. it goes down. Plus the idea of over farming, right? The same farms that are producing apples, oranges, have been doing that for like 30 years, 50 years. And the nutrients have been leached from the ground. And as much as you put in artificially, uh, artificially nutrients and fertilizers and things like that, the nutrients yeah. have been leached down. So one example is given is that a lot of uh, nutrition sites to use now is that, uh, like even peaches, like I think it, it, it like what, 50 to 80, 50 to 70 years ago, it took uh, one, one to three peaches to provide mm-hmm. the, uh, the iron content required for the average person, especially for women, uh, yeah. like the amount of iron, iron they need to uh, hit a baseline. Like if you notice, like a, lot of, a lot of people have iron deficiencies nowadays, especially mm-hmm. women. Right. Uh, and uh, nowadays, the main thing is the sources are being depleted. Yeah, yeah definitely. The, the equivalent amount of iron you need from those three peaches, like from a three year, from a 50 years ago, it needs about 50 peaches. Yeah. Five zero, right? To get the same amount of iron, uh, iron, organic iron from, mm-hmm. um, from, from, from fruits. So even though we're eating these fruits, it's more readily available and the cost has gone down, um, the actual nutrient content is, is depleted because of over farming and, and these industrial farming practices. Yeah, and so, that's, uh, so what you're talking about is basically monoculture. Mm-hmm. So using one, one kind of, uh, growing one produce over and over again, right? As you said, um, it takes away from the nutrients. And so, so what uh, you, you should also, also be looking into is polyculture. So it's, mm-hmm. you change what you're growing every season. So it gives the land time to rejuvenate. And then what so the benefit is with our yeah, system, we can provide it to the farmers so that, you know, if they want the land to rejuvenate, they can stop growing, but then they still have our systems nearby that will help them with their income in the meantime. Yeah. Um, and even looking at the large corporate um, agricultural systems, they all use pesticides. Um, with Monsanto, they have seeds that will only germinate if the farmer sprays that pesticide on the seed, right? And there's actually been a, a recent article that came out uh, last year that um, with pesticide use, if you're uh, a young child within uh, younger than two, two years old or a pregnant mother within two kilometers of pesticide use, um, there's, it's linked to um, higher rates of autism as well. Yeah. So benefits with, uh, you know, going with hydroponics and our system is we don't necessarily, we don't use any pesticides because the system is self-contained, right? So it's providing a safe source of food, 
especially for uh, people that are affected by it. No, absolutely. And you're right. The polyculture is super important, but it's very hard in certain situations, like orchards mm-hmm. for trees, bananas, things like yeah. that, where it takes about 30 years for these for these trees to become you know, fruit bearing, right? Yeah. Uh, you can't really replace them around. You yeah. can't really switch them around. So they're, they're kind of, you know, if the monoculture exists, they build these huge farms of like uh, of orchards mm-hmm. and you can't really switch them around as much. But um, yeah, the hydroponics is great because it allows, to, uh, it allows for, um, the, again, like the nutrients to reach the, so- reach the plants much easier. You can control yeah. it much easier. You're not dependent on soil uh, and fertilizing the soil. Yeah, you provide the nutrients um, straightforward, and then you can also like, have a list of you know what what the nutrient level is per plant. Um, yeah. One of the things I like is the analytics tools behind uh, what you were saying, right? Because now you can measure the pH levels, the uh, the, the nutrient content yeah. that is going into each. Measure, yeah, yeah, and you can. And that's the thing, right? With the hydroponics, you do need to uh, measure everything that's coming in, and you can also we also have it so that we're integrating with. Uh, AR, so augmented reality, so that, uh, you know, if a leaf is t- slightly turning yellow, you can take a photo of it, and the app will eventually show you, you know, okay, this is what possibly could be wrong. Follow uh-huh. these steps. Follow these steps to, uh, you know, bring it back to full health. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most people realize, and me included, like, how much difficulty it is in raising plants. Like, you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you just assume you put them in the ground, you put them water yeah. You do have to take care of them, um, but we've made it so that it's much more easier. Um, with the app, we will have a learning database as well, so it can teach you as you go. Um, and we're using an algorithm so that it's going to look at, you know, how are users using it, where can you fix it. Um, and it's not just an app to control the system, but it's a more of a learning learning system as well, right? And with, with hydroponics, that... When I was growing it, you know, it, I, I found myself talking to the plants sometimes, right? Like, come on, guys, grow up better, right? Like, so it is therapeutic as well, and you do have a sense of accomplishment when you can do your first harvest. Cool. Awesome. Suji, man, we're approaching the, uh, the hour, and uh, yep. I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and chat about this. No, um, thank you for having me on board. You know, uh, I know you've been trying for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got you, man. I finally got you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell us uh, where people can find you, uh, find out more about Danya. And... Yeah, so duniahabitats.com. Um, you know, just send us an email through our contact or you can email directly at info at duniahabitats.com as well. Perfect. And you're on socials, uh, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook. Yeah, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, uh, Twitter as well. So just search for Dunya Habitats and you'll find us. Perfect. Awesome. Sujin. Right. Thank you for your time, man. This has been great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah. Take care. <laughs>